0: I heard you boys over there clapping extra loud for me. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> oh man! Good morning. Good morning. I just want to reiterate. You know, one of the hardest things I, I think that um, that I've noticed is you know whenever whenever we try to have um, an event or something like that or or whatever it is and we invite other churches. One of the hardest things is to get churches to gather together for something that's not at your home church. And so I think, you know, the the Heart of David came and, and, and led worship for us and really just blessed us. And I think what a blessing it would be for us to go to them. You know, when it's at their home church, when it's in a place where where they go, you know, for us just to show up and to bless them just by by being there. Not to mention it's just worth it because um, we get to worship together, and we're all part of the same body. So I would encourage you, if you're available on Friday, go to that. We're going to be there. I know most of the teenagers are going, and the Remnant's taking a trip out there. We we just want to just be able to bless them, too, just just not just with our giving whenever they come to us, but also by uh, being willing to go and worship with them where they're at, too. So let's just uh let's just pray real quick and then we'll get into this message today. Lord, we're thankful for this time, God. We just we just want to wait on you, Lord. We just invite your spirit into here today, Lord. God, we know that there's nothing that I could say, there's nothing that can be done here outside of your spirit's leadership that could have any significance at all, Lord. So I just give my voice to you in this time. We give our, our minds to you in this time, our ears to you, Lord. We turn our turn our ears to you and our eyes to you today, Lord. And, and we just ask that you would speak to us, Lord. You, we ask that you would speak through me, Lord. Just take me and use me as a vessel for you, Lord. We pray that you would receive all of the glory and all of the honor, Lord. We just love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Toby, can you bring my water up there? I forgot my water back there. I'll need that later. I'm on the wrong page of my notes. That could be a problem. Starting in the middle and ending at the beginning. Hopefully I got them in order here. Thank you. All right, I'm just going to get started. My my message title today is is uh, the Ecclesia mandate. And if I'm saying that different than what you expected to be said, I don't care. <laughs> we had we were talking last night about like how you say this, and honestly, let's just all admit none of us know. Okay, so I'm going to say it how I've heard it. It's the Ecclesia mandate, and um, and Mark's probably having a fit over there because I'm probably saying that wrong. Okay, hey Mark. The, Listen. Everybody knows that Mark is the ultimate. Uh, he's the ultimate decision maker of how you say those those words that nobody knows how to pronounce. So if he says I'm saying it right, then then I'm then then I'm in. Yeah. My so my message title today is the Ecclesia Mandate. And I'm just going to start here reading in in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And this is what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and what you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So Jesus is walking with his disciples through this region, through this city, this area of uh, Caesarea Philippi, um, in which at this time this is like the absolute hub of demonic darkness. This this city of Caesarea Philippi um, was was in the midst of it was Mount Hermon. At the base of Mount Hermon there was this cave, and there was a, there was a spring of water that came out of that mountain and flowed down and and and. And rested in the cave, and the people in that area could not reach the depths of that cave, so they assumed it was never-ending, so they called it the, the Gates of Hades. They believed it was literally the gates to hell. And what the people in that region believed is they believed that um, this Greek god Pan, which is that what they believed it was the fertility god, I say god, little g god, uh, fertility god, during the winter months would retreat into the depths of of Hades, the depths of hell. And then, if, if, if this Greek god was pleased with the sacrifices of the people, he would return in the, um, in the springtime and the people would be able to be fertile. They would have children. So that's what the people in this area unbelieved. And because, um, because that it was the centerpiece of that was the gates of hell, the gates of, of Hades, which was in the side of this mountain around this city was just filled with pagan temples, um, pagan worshipers. And people would literally come to the base of this this mountain, to the base of this cave, and they would perform um, human sacrifices, just defiled sexual acts, in order to please this fertility god that they believed in, so that he would come back in the springtime. And 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 if you think this is uh uh, if you think of this place as just being just the centerpiece, what the, the disciples would have known of as the known world. This was the worst of the worst. The worst. Most Jews wouldn't even go to this place because it was so bad. And it wasn't by accident that Jesus, before he would ride this donkey into Jerusalem to lay his life down for his people, to conquer the grave. Before he would do all of that, first what he would do is he would take his disciples to this place, to this city. And in the middle of this city that's just filled with probably armies of demons, armies of darkness, agents of darkness, so much darkness that Satan had gained his greatest stronghold right here in the city, Jesus asked this really simple and profound question to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Peter's response to him is, you're the Messiah, the son of the one living God. In the middle of all of these dead, never living gods, you are the one true living God. And Jesus' response to Peter is, you're right. This has not been revealed to you by flesh. This has been revealed to you by the Spirit. Now let me tell you who you are. You're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you think about the demons sitting around listening to this conversation because the demons recognized who Jesus was, if you think about the demons sitting around listening to this conversation, Jesus is Jesus essentially saying, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. I Recently, I read this book. Um, it's called The New Era of Glory by Tim Sheets. And, and you guys have actually heard some of the, the excerpts from it because I sent like half the book, pictures of the pages, like half the book to Pastor Jeff. Because it was just so good. It just it, A lot of these are prophetic words that Tim Sheets has released and um, these prophetic words so are such a confirmation of what the Lord has been speaking to us, and uh, such a confirmation the direction that that the that the Lord seems to be sending us in in this in this time in this era. And and uh, you, if you've ever listened to Tim Sheets, how many of you guys have ever heard of Tim Sheets or listened to Tim Sheets? But Tim Sheets is a pretty pretty prominent prophetic voice, and um, and you can't listen to Tim Sheets without uh, hearing him talk about the Ecclesia. That's If there was an anointing that was placed on Tim Sheets' life, it was to, to teach about the ecclesia. So I read this book, and I've actually heard Tim Sheets many times over the years, and um, and never have I heard him not talk about the ecclesia. Um, but but uh, for just to give you some context to what this this word, this ecclesia word means, is rooted here, right here in Matthew uh, chapter sixteen, and. When Jesus says to, uh, says to Peter, your name is Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, that word for church that he uses is ecclesia. Now when you really think about this, there were other gathering places, were religious words for gathering places. They had the tabernacle, and they had the temple, and they had the synagogue. And Jesus didn't say, on this rock I'm going to build my synagogue. He didn't say, on this rock I'm going to build my temple. He said, On this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia. And ecclesia, in its simplest form, it just means assembly. But in this time, the word was most commonly known and used as a governing word. It was basically when a governing body would gather to do government activity, they would be called an ecclesia. And so when he's speaking this to his disciples, He is not only just giving giving this thing a name, but he is also giving it a purpose. Just listen to what he says. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Because what's happening is Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he's about to conquer death in the grave, and he wants to know. And he wants the disciples to know exactly what he's going to do in, in in as he conquers the grave. They're they're going to be entering into this new era by the blood of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in this new era, the Lord is not going to have a tabernacle. He's going to actually have an assembly of tabernacles. He's going to take the holiness within the Holy of Holies in the middle of the tabernacle, where his glory was, going to pour, was poured out. He was going to take that and he was going to place it inside of us. And he's telling Peter, I'm going to take the tabernacle and I'm going to put it inside of you. And when you gather, you're going to be an assembly of tabernacles with the purpose of governing spiritually the area that I've sent you to. And here's, here's the, the second half of this. The purpose that he gives this ecclesia is pretty simple, and it's to storm the gates of hell. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against you. The gates of hell don't move. The gates of hell aren't storming our grounds. The gates of hell are being stormed by those who believe they are who God says they are. I was in prayer with just some of my brothers yesterday, and I... Uh, I had this just this picture in my mind of this, this door, and on this door, it just said, do not enter. And it was as if Satan had hung this do not enter sign on the door, and the church had just walked around and said, oh, shoot, we'd love to go in there, but we can't get in there because he said we're not allowed. And Jesus said, I've called you an ecclesia. I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I've given you authority to bind and to loose. When Jesus died, when he conquered the grave, the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. Here's what this means. Now it means that darkness is actually now enslaved to the light. It means that Satan's authority is, is simply an illusion that's granted to us, granted to him by us. If we, if the, if the Lord has said by the proclamation of Jesus, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and I'm giving you authority to bind and to loose. If, if, there's, if Satan has any stronghold in our area, it's because we've allowed him to have a stronghold in our area. One thing that's really cool is that actually if you were to go to this region now, you know what you would find? You would just find a foundation with no walls, pile of rubble. The spring that, that, that used to come out of the mountain that would feed down into this, this endless abyss that they thought was the gates of hell. The spring has been closed up. Historians say that an earthquake basically shook the ground and destroyed the city, closed up the mouth of that spring. And I have to wonder who prayed that prayer, you know? Because somebody took authority and believed that God, God, they were who God said they were. And they prayed a prayer and God said, okay, I'll shake the ground. I'll, I'll wreck that city to ruins. And the people didn't rebuild that city. It's just ruins right now. Still, to this day, it's just ruins, because literally there's no kingdom of darkness that has any power when the church rises up. Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, we see uh, the birth of this ecclesia as, as the heaven is cracked open. There's, there's the, the disciples and these, these other people are gathered in this upper room. There's about 120 of them gathered in this upper room. And, and the scripture says that that Peter is speaking, and um, Peter essentially he takes those spiritual keys that had been given to him by Jesus, and he opens the doors of heaven, and the Holy Spirit bursts forth like a rushing wind, and he rests inside of and overcomes every single person in that room. They start speaking in tongues, and they start prophesying right there all together. And essentially, what's happening is Peter has opened the, the open the key opened heaven's doors, and and by the authority that has been granted to Peter, the Holy Spirit inside of Peter. The, this Holy Spirit rushes in and the Ecclesy is given weapons of warfare to accomplish the things the Lord has set them out to accomplish. He called them a governing body and then he said, here's your weapons to go and govern. I called you to storm the gates of hell. Now here's your weapons to go and storm the gates of hell. These, these spiritual gifts that I poured into you. And you know, one of the things that I, um, um, that I really took note of whenever I was reading the New Era of Glory, one of the things that Tim Sheets brings up, that he mentions, is the fact that when you look around the Church of America, the Western Church, how many churches refuse to talk about the Holy Spirit? Refuse to talk about spiritual gifts. Some of them even will go as far as just saying, like, they don't just believe those even exist anymore. They want nothing to do with those things. And essentially what we've done, what what the church, the the American church that believe that, what they've done is essentially handed Satan back the weapons that are supposed to be used against them say here's here's those weapons i'm just going to lay them down at your feet and you know what we'll just be confident being a synagogue we'll just keep jesus within these walls of this body and we're not going to storm the gates of hell you could have your space which is literally everywhere else outside of these walls we'll just take ours place here's our weapons we're not going to use them against you you go and have your, your your reign and your rule and what we've what we've seen happen in that as we look around america we've seen just destruction when there's this churches on every street corner because churches haven't ri- ro- risen up as an ecclesia and spiritually govern the land that the Lord has given them to govern. He's anointed them to govern. So when we look around and we see darkness, we don't think, well, shoot, oh, man, there, it's, it's a shame that there can't be nothing done about that. You know, I, was, I, I, I read this article on WKBN the other day that these schools are starting uh, Satan clubs. Yeah, schools are starting after school Satan clubs. And, the, and, they, and they interviewed the one uh, the one guy who's in charge of the school, and they asked him, like, well, how, how are you letting this happen? And he said, basically, I can't discriminate. And you know what I heard? Why aren't we in the schools? Wait, you're telling me they're allowed in the schools, and the church is sitting back saying, oh, no, he's Satan's hung a sign on the door that says we're not allowed in there. Please. The Lord has given us the ability to do those things, too, and now he's going to start to give us the strategy to do it. And if, and, if, and, if, and if we look and we see something has opened the door to Satan, we need to be saying, okay, I'm going too. I'm going to start taking the light into those places. So for a long time, I feel like I, I speak this to myself. I, I, the Lord has been unveiling this to me. For a long time, I've looked and said, there's dark areas that I can't go into. That I'm afraid of. I'm supposed to be scared of the darkness. And the Lord is saying, no, I've put the light inside of you. And I've enslaved the darkness to the light inside of you. I think right now in this season, the Lord is actually calling us back to our roots. And not the roots of abundant life, but the roots of the early church. And he's and, he, and he's calling us to take the weapons that he's given us and to go and storm the gates of hell, to go and storm the darkest areas, and to take authority over those things, to spiritually govern the area and the region that we've been called to spiritually govern, that we've been anointed to spiritually govern. And you know, that the thing is, these aren't new revelations. This is, this is not something new that the Lord is just speaking to me in the first time he's ever said it. This is, this is literally just him saying, let me remind you who I said that I was in Matthew 16, who I've been from the very beginning, and who you are and who you've been from the very beginning. If you proclaim Jesus as Messiah, let me tell you who you are. You're an ecclesia. You're a tabernacle of God's holiness. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what he says about you. He didn't say, Peter, let me give you this pop quiz to see how much you know about me. He didn't say, Peter, let me see if you've checked any of these boxes. He said, who do you say that I am? Oh, you say that I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Let me give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you authority to bind and to loose. This isn't something that's just for pastors. This is something for everybody because I am not just a... Uh, 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 I'm not just a a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. You're a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit. There is power and authority in you that is the same as the power and authority that might be in me. And there's grace that the Lord has given you to walk into ministries and things that he has not given to me. I recently I read this book. It was called The Hiding Place. I don't know if you guys have ever read that book. If you have, how many have ever read The Hiding Place? Yeah, there's a lot. This is a, this is just an amazing book. It's a, it's a biography about Corrie Ten Boom, and um and every person should read it because it's so so good. But just for those of you that don't know Corrie Ten Boom's story, essentially what her story is is she was born and raised in Holland in the early 1900s. She was an adult when the Nazis came and took over, and she basically became the head of the underground system that hid and protected Jews. She would hide them and protect them in her house, and eventually she got caught, she got prosecuted. Her and her whole entire family got sent to a Nazi death camp. And the Lord's hands of provision were on her the whole time. He allowed her to basically smuggle this Bible into this Nazi death camp, and, 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 and in this middle of this Nazi death camp, all these thousands and thousands of women, they would be abused and beat. They would be worked for 12 hours a day, be given limited food, malnourished, and then they would be sent to these flea-infested living quarters where they would sleep. And the flea-infested living quarters were so disgusting that the guards, the Nazi guards, would not go into them. And you know what Corrie Ten Boom did? She took this Bible and she started a worship service every single night. And what the Lord did was he entered into the darkest, most evil place you could ever imagine. The absolute definition of hopelessness and evil was filled with the light and the hope of Jesus. If we ask yourself, why, how was that able to happen? How was the light and the hope of Jesus able to live in a place that's so dark and so evil? And it's because Corey Ten Boone knew who she was as an ecclesia, a member of the ecclesia. She knew who she was as a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And the keys to the kingdom of heaven was given to those who proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And because for those whose hope is in Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail. And because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Cannot overcome it. I heard this, uh, I heard this quote in this book that I recently read um, called God's Smuggler. And uh, the quote says, under persecution, man looks at his faith to see if it's worth fighting for. And if I'm, if I'm honest, in my life, my faith has not faced much challenge or persecution. And if we're honest, even in the past century, our faith, or the church in America, has not faced much persecution or much challenge. And that's why we have to be so diligent. This word that Pastor Ben spoke over us last week is so important. That's why we have to be so diligent, so intentional with our faith. So intentional with reminding ourselves who we are and what we're called to. Because otherwise what happens is we, our faith becomes stagnant as we become stagnant. Because untest, untested faith will become stagnant faith and, and stagnant faith becomes dead faith. And I, I believe, this is what I believe that the Lord is, is is doing right now in the spirit. As he's returning us, he's calling us to return to his ecclesia, to to rise up as his ecclesia and to reign and and rule in the land that he has anointed us to rule in. This is what Genesis chapter 26 says, um, starting in verse 12. It says, Isaac sowed seed in that land. And in that year, he reaped a hundred times what was sown. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was very wealthy. He had flocks of sheep Herds of cattle and many slaves, and the Philistines were envious of him. Philistines stopped up all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham, filling with dirt. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Leave us, for you are much too powerful for us. So Isaac left there, camped in the Gerar Valley, and lived there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, and the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. He gave them the same names his father had given them. Wells in that time were a, a symbol of life. But more than that, what they were is they were a symbol of authority to live, to sow and to reap from a land. When a family was laying claim to a land, what they would do is they would dig a well. And they would give that well a name that was was relevant to what was happening in their lives, what was going on right then in that moment. And Abraham had basically gone into this Greer Valley, which is is in the land of Canaan. He had basically gone into this... All right, we're good. Basically gone... He had gone into the Greer Valley, which is the land of Canaan, and he was a foreigner in the land, and he dug wells. He laid claim to that land. You know why he laid claim to that land? Because the Lord spoke a promise to him and said that this land is going to be the land of your descendants. And he went and he dug a well, and wells would essentially be passed down from generation to generation to generation. And Abraham dug that well on foreign land because he trusted in the Lord's promise. And so after Abraham dies, the Philistines start to fill in these wells. And what they're saying is, you have no right over this land. They didn't use the wells. They filled them in. Because what they want is they don't want you to think you have any authority over that land. And Isaac shows back up. And Isaac is still a foreigner in the land. You know what he does? He starts to reopen those wells again. He starts to dig open those wells again. And the scripture says that he gave them the same names that his father Abraham gave them. And you know why? Because the same promise that was given to his father Abraham was given to him. And you know what I think is happening is this time as as we return to our roots of who we are, I think the Lord is gonna start to uncover these wells that the early church functioned in. These resources that the early church functioned in. He's gonna start uncovering those wells, redigging those wells that the early church had functioned in. And, And and these ancient wells are gonna be called healing well is called deliverance. well is called revival. And the same water that was a resource in the early church that caused revival to break out every, everywhere, miracles, signs, and wonders, the same water comes from the same source, the throne of God. And it's the same throne, throne of God for us. And as we uncover these wells, the Lord removes unbelief from inside of us. We start to uncover these wells. The Lord is going to function in the same way that he functioned for them. He's going to be the same God that he was to them. Because the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob was the God of Paul, was the God of Peter, and is the God of me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will always be. And what we're going to do is we're going to start to uncover those wells again, and we're going to start to pull from the resource that the Lord has given to us, live in the authority that the Lord has given to us, In Ezekiel chapter 47... Ezekiel was taken into this vision and in this vision of the temple and off of the throne and down the altar streams this little stream of water and it goes out the gate of the temple and as it leaves the gate of the temple, it turns into a river and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's this raging river that's flowing and it dumps into the Dead Sea. And if you don't know what the Dead Sea is, a physical place, the Dead Sea is so salty that nothing can live in it. The scripture says that it turns the Dead Sea to fresh water and brings life to everything it touches. And you know what happens, I think, in us is, is, is this, this river that comes, that flows from the throne of God sometimes gets dammed up by our, uh, unbelief. And, and when it's supposed to flow to the dead areas and bring life to everything it touches, instead we dam it up somewhere because that's where our unbelief ends. I feel like in this time what the Lord is doing is he's literally just kicking in these dams. He's given us the tools to be able to fight back against unbelief so that he can kick in these dams and this water that has been released from the throne of God that brings life to everything it touches is going to be released to go back out into those dark places and into those dead places and literally turn them into fresh living areas. And so if we're going to actually function... As an ecclesia, Abundant Life Fellowship is going to step into that call. We're going to start to function as the early church had called us to function, as Jesus has called us to function in, in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to have to start to fight back against that unbelief. He's giving us tools. We, listen, this fasting call that, that so many of us have stepped into, this is, this fasting call is, is to fight back against unbelief inside of us. It's to, t- it's to overtake the unbelief inside of us so that we can be who we're called to be. So we can see Jesus through clear eyes. And, and the Lord has given us these tools to fight back unbe- against unbelief so that we can see dead things brought to life again. So that we can see addiction conquered in the power of Jesus' name. So we can see disease conquered in the power of Jesus' name. So we can see dem- demonic strongholds broken in the power of Jesus' name. And so that we can see dead things brought to life again in the power of Jesus' name. You know, if I'm being honest, as as the Holy Spirit has kind of revealed some of these realities to me. These are things that I've I've heard many times over the years and they've resided in my conscious. I've I've recognized them and maybe even spoke them out a time or two, but they've never found home in my spirit. And so what would happen is I would stand here and say, "I know that that God has given us the the power um, to conquer darkness and he's given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the authority to bind and loose. And then the Lord would say, okay, now go and exercise that and I would cower in fear. I would become a coward right there. And the reason is, is because there had been unbelief that's resided in me. And there's things that the Lord is identifying in me that he is working out of me right now. And the unbelief that had resided inside of me that dammed up that water from allowing it to flow, where I would know this thing in my conscience, but I wouldn't put it into action in my spirit. I wouldn't let it have home in my spirit and put it into action in my life. It wasn't because I had unbelief in the power of God. Because I look around and I see the universe that God spoke out of his mouth. And I know that God can do anything he wants to do but the unbelief that held me up is the unbelief in his love. Because I would have a hard time to believe that when the Lord has sent me to step out, to do things, to actually act out these things, to put my faith into action, that the Lord is not going to just abandon me there. And that unbelief inside of me is something that the Lord is weeding out in this season. And when I have this moment where, where the Lord is saying, oh, put your faith into action, and I get crippled by fear, what what that fear is, is it's just a test of our faith. It's just a test of our faith. You, the, the scripture says that God did not give you the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And you know, And you know what that means? That when we feel fear, it's not our fear that we're feeling, it's Satan's fear that we're feeling. Because he's scared. He's scared that we might step into that. And fear, what it is, is it's our faith put to the flame to say, what do you really believe? What do you really believe? You could talk a big game, but what do you really believe? And I know, um, because I'm a dad, and I have a three-year-old, and I know that when he gets scared, you know what he does? He crawls up in my lap. And it's not because he thinks I'm the baddest guy in the world, even though I hope he thinks that. That's not why he crawls up in my lap. He crawls up in my lap because he trusts that I love him fiercely. That there would be, there would be nothing that would keep me from protecting him. That I would stand between hell and him in a heartbeat. That there would nothing that would attack him without me coming after it. He trusts that I love him. And if we're going to live out this ecclesia mandate, if we're going to actually step into this and believe in the Lord, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to crawl up in daddy's lap and trust that he loves us. you know we did communion today and you know what when you think about communion G- Jesus is sitting there with his disciples and he says um, this this bread represents my body broken for you this blood represents my or this this juice represents my blood poured out for you you know what he doesn't say this this bread represents the empty tomb the empty tomb is representative of God's power and his victory but the cross is representative of his love he said i want you to gather regularly i want you to remember my love because the scripture says it's the love of Christ that compels us. That perfect love casts out fear. It's not the power of God that, can, that that compels us. It's the love of Christ that compels us. And if we're going to move forward, we're going to face fears. I promise you, I can get you all pumped up here today. And you can go back into your normal life tomorrow. And when the Lord says, now put your faith into action, you're going to face fear. I promise you, you're going to face fear. And that's when you need to be able to look at the cross. Because the cross is a God that doesn't abandon us. The cross is a God that doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave us high and dry. He's faithful. He comes through. The cross is a symbol of a God who loves us enough to meet us when we seek him. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And the cross is representative of a God that is that God. So when we face fear in our lives, when the Lord is calling us into this, into this, um, this reality and this truth that we let it settle deep in our heart, that we are an ecclesia, that the Lord has given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven and given us authority and a calling to bind and to loose, to storm the gates of hell, to go into the darkest places and be the light of Jesus. We can only accomplish any of that by looking at the cross. Because the fear will cripple us until we see the love of Jesus. We'll do nothing until we see the love of Jesus. We'll we'll be big game talkers and do nothing until we see the love of Jesus on the cross. I just believe in this season that the Lord is just going to release this, this revelation of his love, just a deeper revelation of his love. One that doesn't just settle in our subconscious, but actually settles in our spirit, becomes home in our spirit and becomes a reality in our spirit. We're going to get together tonight for a a prayer meeting here at six o'clock. This is something the Lord has been just, just pressing into my heart. And, um, you know, me and a few of the guys, we've been meeting once a week just to get together and pray together. And I believe what the Lord is doing is he's is he saying, okay, now that you're st- I'm starting to give this revelation of who I am, I want you to start to actually put these things into action. When we come together tonight for this prayer meeting, we're coming together as an ecclesia, as, a, as, a, as an assembly of tabernacles to govern the land the Lord has called us to govern. We're going to govern it in prayer. We're going to cast out what needs to be cast out, and we're going to allow what needs to allow. We're going to speak life into things. And we're going to do these things because we believe the word the Lord has said to us. We believe he is who he says he is, and we believe we are who we say we are, or he says we are. This is, it's not by accident that you are here. It's not by accident that you were born into this time, into this place, that you happen to be here on this Sunday. It's not by accident. The Lord has a purpose for you in this plot, in this place, in this time, in this region, to rise up and be a part of his ecclesia, be a part of his assembly of tabernacles that starts to govern this land. And it's Jesus, it's the authority of Jesus that gives us the ability to do this. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's the start of the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth, heaven and earth has been given to me. He's not going to fail us. He's not going to let us down. But the Lord is calling us into an aggressive state and not a passive state. Pastor Jeff said this a a, a few weeks ago, that this is an aggressive call. This this word that we have for the year, more than conquerors, is an aggressive call. It doesn't mean that we sit back and wait for somebody to come, you know, falling into our lap that happens to need a battle fought for them and we pray for them. It means that we go and we storm the gates of hell. I'm just going to, I'm going to pray over you. And I just, if there's, if you need prayer for anything, if there's battles that you're facing that you need somebody to just believe with you for, then then come and receive prayer. We're going to start to believe the things that the Lord says about us. And, we, and listen, the Lord has done, a, he has taken us through seasons of refining and seasons of refining. And this word that Pastor Jeff released this year is so so relevant. It's so important to this season that we're in. So important to this season that we're in. And he said this many times. We're not just called to be conquerors in our own lives. We're actually be called to be conquerors in others' lives. Lord, we just, we just love you, God. You're a good God. We thank you for the cross, Lord. Lord, when we get afraid, when we get scared, we look at the cross and we trust in a God that doesn't leave us, that doesn't abandon us. Lord, it's your love that compels us forward. It's your love that compels us to, to, to move forward in this ecclesia mandate, to receive what you've spoken to the church, Lord, to redig these wells and to, and to pull from the same resource that they pulled from. Lord, we're thankful that the water still flows from your throne. That it still brings life to everything it touches. So we just release in this place a spirit of boldness, Lord. A spirit of remembrance, God. That in the moments where we become um, overtaken by fear, that we face challenge where the Lord says, put things into action, put your faith into action. The Lord, we would remember the cross. we're thankful that you're a God that's fulfillment of everything we need that you're unconquerable lord undefeated you're the one true living god we we just released the revelation of your love here today lord we love you and we honor you and we bless you in Jesus name amen